0: Father, we thank you for the testimony that you have left with us, your word, and specifically this book of Exodus. Help us to recognize the parallels between the Israelites and ourselves as believers and just as the human race, as we have seen Pharaoh being representative of the world and Satan and how we see the Israelites being representative of ourselves and all the faux pas and the mistakes the errors that they have made help us to learn from them those who have gone so many years before us that we might do it right Uh, do it the way you want us to you have given us these things as examples so help us to follow them lord help us to understand them give us that understanding and help us to seek after you with all our heart mind soul and strength with your help we'll do it in jesus name amen we left off in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 13, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. And just to give you a little bit of a background, remember every animal was to be redeemed and if there was a donkey, the donkey's neck was to be killed because you couldn't sacrifice that animal. It was an unclean animal. And so if your son asks, why are you doing all this? This is the reason that you tell your son. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of the firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead. Now, this was reiterated back in verse 9. And I showed you the phylacteries that the Jews wear even to this day where they took it literally to write the word of God on their hand and on their forehead. going on, that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now, by illustration and application here, if God is leading someone, and especially for ministry, we are all supposed to have a particular ministry. God has given each of us a gift. I went over this with the youth last Thursday, that each one of them have a particular gift, and you have a particular gift. And I took them to 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and also to the book of Romans, and I described what those gifts were, And I asked them, do you know what your gift is? Do you have a sense of what it might be? Which gift would you like? And each one of them, we went around the room, and they answered each one of them. And a lot of them were the gift of helps. And so if you have the gift of helps, you're supposed to step out and start helping. But when you do, you will receive opposition. No matter what it is that you do in ministry, you will have a tendency at some point to say, well, I just want to quit. I can't believe that Christians would be so obstinate and so mean and say so many bad things. I thought... These people were nice and they extend mercy and grace. And, you know, the Israelites, as we will see, they saw the Egyptians coming and they just started complaining to Moses, even though you just had the 10 plagues, even though the river Nile turned to blood and the frogs and the flies and all of that. And they're going, no, we're going to die. You brought us out here to die. And so we have this tendency, like the Israelites Thought that they might run into opposition, or God thought that they would turn. You know, he, they're writing it anthropomorphically here, or, or Moses is. That this idea, if he took the Israelites through the Philistine country, they would encounter war, and then they'd say, I quit. That's it. I'm done. Especially with new believers. Now, if you wanted to compare the Israelites to the stage of a believer, they are in infancy, they are not mature believers at all here they really had no spiritual direction for 400 years that we know of now there were the heads of the clans and things like that but they haven't been given the law they haven't received direct instruction from god for generations and so they are baby christians so to speak or that's what we are baby christians when we compare ourselves to them they were babies in the lord babies as israelites and so if you put a baby out there speaking as their maturity level uh, represents that. If you give a child too much, the child gets discouraged and wants to turn away and say, that's it. And so when somebody wants to exercise their gift, you don't give them the whole load. Like one of the kids in there said, well, I think it might be teaching. I think I have the gift of teaching. And I said, great, show up on Sunday. I'm going to put you up in the pulpit. And of course, that would be overwhelming for a little baby christian to do that it's like what you know get up there and and have to teach i can remember the first time i gave a message i was beside myself every hair on my body was sticking straight up my eyes were wide open i was very nervous it's like how do i do this and i was studying everybody else and how they did it and and it was it was difficult And so we have to be gentle. And that's the way the Lord was being with the Israelites. He wanted to protect them from that. He wanted them to be gentle. And whenever somebody starts out in ministry, whatever they're doing, if they're just helping, you come alongside and you say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be just fine. You're going to be shaking a little bit, but I'm going to be holding your legs so you don't go anywhere. You know, it's going to be just fine. You don't have to lift one foot and take off. And so keep this in mind. If you exercise your gift... You are going to get opposition. You become a target is what happens. When we started ministry here, we became targets. You ever see, um, what was his name, Gary Larson? Had those uh, cartoons, those little... Farside, yes, the Farside. I once walked into a Hallmark, and I got captivated by a whole rack of those, and I was laughing out loud inside of the Hallmark. But there's these, one, these two deers are standing up. They're on hind legs and there's this bullseye on one and the other deer turns to him and said, man, that's a bummer of a birthmark, you know, and, (laughs) and and you have a birthmark like that on you. If you step out for ministry, you are going to be targeted. There are going to be flaming arrows coming your way so that it might take you off your task and thereby the enemy has a victory. And so the Lord wanted to protect the Israelites. He kind of hovered over them, kind of like a chicken with its wings, you know, a hen with its wings outstretched to protect its little chicks. And the scripture actually describes God like that, where he he puts his wings out and he covers over us when we are uh, unsure or it's difficult for us. So we want to make that connection. God cares about us, but it doesn't mean he stops all attacks How do you become mature? You have to work at it. You have to endure. You have to learn what those things are. When you discipline a little child, the first time you tell a child no, the child doesn't understand, and his world or her world falls apart, and they start crying, and they get all upset. But then the parent comes along and says, it's going to be okay You just can't have this right now. This isn't going to work out for you. And so it's divesting themselves of this selfish attitude, this selfishness. They are actually infants in God. And so God wanted to protect them. Now, they started heading out. Uh, Daryl, you have that first picture there, number one. They started heading out from the land of Goshen. He's going to show you this picture here. And from Egypt, the orange line all the way on the left, and you see it goes through Sukkot and, and comes down. Now, he could have taken them straight up to Hebron up there. Now, that little blue spot that's just to the right of Hebron, that is the Dead Sea. Now, I, I think um, it was Wednesday and I was talking about the Dead Sea when Jesus Christ comes back for his millennial reign. water's going to flow from the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem there, over to the Dead Sea, and that Dead Sea will end up flowing down to this Gulf of Aqaba, the one that's on the right. That is going to be the millennial kingdom. That's what's going to happen. Now, God could have taken them just straight up. As you see the blue line, it just curves up like a hockey stick there, but he would have set them into the land of the Philistines, and he did not want to do that. And so he took them down across the Gulf of Aqaba, which goes over to Saudi Arabia. Now, if you look at this... Landmass in the middle between the two bodies of water that is the sinai peninsula and the traditional location of mount sinai is at the tip of that that is incorrect there's actually a monastery down there and they say this is the mountain and they build it up and if you go there they say oh no this is definitely it but the book of galatians says that they went to arabia mount sinai is in arabia It is not in the Sinai Peninsula. So that's the route that they ended up taking, the orange line that goes all the way down. Now with that, some of the reasons why he didn't take them directly over there, and we know this from hindsight, the Israelites that came out of Egypt had been there for over 400 years, 430 years. And they were established, and this was something new. They were being delivered. But they, as a people, were old. They were ancient. And so if God wanted to do something new, he had to wait for the next generation. Now, as we'll get into, this particular generation, except for two, did not enter into the promised land. Everybody died. They were disobedient. They fell in the desert. And one of these reasons, it's also recorded in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 17, it talks about old and new wineskins. If God wants to do a new work, he has to raise up new people. Now, there can be old people in that guiding and counseling. There can be a few, but for the most part, new people have to be raised up. That's why we make disciples. New people are supposed to constantly be coming up in the ranks, for instance you know i've been doing this since 1991 there will come a time where the lord says okay you're done and i'm going to say okay i'm done i want to be obedient to him and hopefully during that time somebody else will be raised up and they will take my place that's how it's supposed to work my prayer has always been that uh even though you know this is not a mega church somebody will come along and they will take the baton and they will run with it and hopefully they will even be more blessed than we have been blessed we started it but god wanted to start a new work and i started it when i was what uh, 17 patty 19 <clears throat> but when we when we started that's the way it was it was brand new and we go through a life cycle and then new disciples have to be raised up and that's what god did here they were old wineskins so to speak and remember by the illustration in Matthew chapter 9 if you put new wine in old wineskins what happens the old wineskins burst you have to put new wine into new wineskins so if there's something new to be done God's going to raise up new individuals and he sends them out and that's the way it's supposed to be God has determined this already it doesn't mean that you don't minister to the old wineskins or new people don't come in you it's the job of the old wineskins skins to mentor the new wine skins it's the job that god has given to us to pull the newbies by the side and say look i'm going to be right there i'm going to support you this is what you're going to run into it's going to be difficult but don't worry about it we've been through that second corinthians chapter one verses three and four the same uh, comfort that you receive from god when you went through the trials you're going to give that same comfort to others when they go through their trials and that's our job if we're not showing up to fellowship, if we're not showing up to church, if we're not being involved like that, we miss the opportunity to encourage the others that are coming up. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. But this idea of this generation that went into the desert, that they would go into the new land, the promised land, it wasn't in the cards, so to speak, for them. God needed a new generation to be raised up. Also, he wanted to teach them to be dependent on him for everything and we'll get into this and i'm jumping ahead a little bit but remember they needed food and so god provided them manna and when they complained about the manna he gave them quail when they needed water he gave them water and so god wanted them in the place and for the new generation to be raised up wanted them to see that god just took care of everything they didn't have a single concern and although the Egyptians will be showing up here to take them out, God wants them to trust. This is also a test for them and also to humble them, to keep them in a position where they can be taught. If we are not humble, we cannot be taught. Now, how do you become humble? Well, oftentimes it requires something shameful or, humility or humiliating to come along. That you make a mistake and it's like, oh boy, did I ever blow it? And then you have to recognize it. Now, (laughs) I'm going to use an illustration. We have a political campaign going on right now, right? They're all the most humble people on the face of the earth, right? (laughs) They, they, and you have to have an ego to run for that particular position. It is potentially the most powerful position on earth politically and even militarily and so you have to think that you're something right there has to be some dimension of that but in order to be instructed you have to be able to say look i don't know everything and apparently god has called me to this because god raises up one leader and puts down another and i'm just occupying apparently he wants me to do this whoever would get in as president if we had a guy like that I think the country would just flock to the individual. Not that he wouldn't be a weak leader. He would be strong, but he would be humble. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be perpetually humble before him. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. And, of course, this is referring to the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt. And it says to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord now this is in Deuteronomy chapter 8 who else said this Jesus, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he got this during his time of temptation with the enemy. Turn the rock into bread and eat it. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. You see how important this is? We're so worried about what we consume, our food. And God says, no, the food is not the important thing. The word of God, which is the bread of life, is the important thing. You see the connection that's being made here? And so that's why they were tested in the desert, to trust in God's word, his promises. If you are not tested, you will not trust in God's word. If you don't have God's word, you won't know to trust in God's word. You will be completely abandoned to worry and anxiety that's why it's so important that you have god's word if you have god's word you know his promises when the trials show up you're just gonna go "Eh, it's not my problem it's god's problem that's what the israelites should have done when the egyptians were coming down and we'll get to that again i'm getting ahead of myself they should have just said this is god's problem i can't wait to see what he does Instead, they were fearful and they were anxious about what was going to take place. So their wandering was to teach them, to test them, and to humble them. The application question from this is, how much do we really trust God? When God tests us to find out, are we prepared for that? Do we want God? Are you willing to sign up, say, God, test me so that I might trust you? Now, you know what that means. Hardship. If you say, yeah. Uh, not today though I uh, you know you you, you just want to put it off for a little while you't you don you 't don't want to do that you know the time is short for those of us who are older in here. How long ago was it you were in high school? I mean, it was just like a blink. It was just like yesterday that we were there, and we 're no longer there, and god 's moving us along, and the time is short. we are limited. On the days that we have in this life the the Bible says that our lives are but mist. you know the mist just comes in and it just floats away and there 's really no substance to it at all. We will not be remembered after so many years here. The generations will just pass away. I never knew my great 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 grandfather who he was. I have no idea i don 't even know his name. What his name was on either side of the family you don't know that stuff so our time is short and so we want to make sure that we submit ourselves to god just trust him have him use us test us to the point where we can be refined and purified so that we can be used in his hand now verse 19 says moses took the bones of joseph with him because joseph had made the sons of israel swear an oath He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Of course, this took 360 years to be fulfilled. Joseph's bones were being taken back to Israel. It was a total of 430 years that they were in captivity. And it would take, once they left, it would take another 40 years for them to get his bones actually to the place, I think it was in Shechem, that they put his bones finally And uh, Eric let me know about this one particular documentary. And he goes, you should watch this. It's pretty good. And I did. It's called Patterns of Evidence. And it's narrated by Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo did God's Not Dead. And this is available on Netflix if you can get it. But it deals with the timing of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. A lot of people erroneously set the date with Ramses. And this particular um, filmography guy, he comes and he makes this film about the Exodus. And he says that everybody is looking to the wrong date and he gives lots of evidence for this. There's the early period, there's the mid-period, and then there's the later period. The later period had Ramses, and he says that the time that they actually went from Egypt is in the middle period, and he gives all this evidence. And he goes, you know, these guys who are archaeologists, they need to just dig a little deeper because it's farther back. And and they went to, uh, this film guy went to these experts in the field, these archaeologists and these scholars and they refused to do that because that's the way we've always done it so we're just not going to change it i I just pull my hair out whenever of course i I do that a lot but i just pull my hair out when i see the obstinance like that there's so much evidence to point when the israelites left and there's actually an excavation that they will show you in the documentary this place that is where was that uh Pyramid, that small pyramid, what land was that in? Was that in Goshen? Yeah, it it was in Goshen, and it showed this one, like, palace structure, and they knew that an Egyptian official had lived there and an important Egyptian official because it actually had a small pyramid that was on it and inside was a statue and the statue was big and they had a remnant of the statue and they knew that this guy was really important because of everything that was involved there and he was not Egyptian and there's ways that they find out that he's not Egyptian, that he was, I think they said Canaanite, if that's correct. But also there were 12 other tombs that were there. Was it twelve or eleven? Eleven other tombs that were there in this palace area. And they just go, you know, this is uh is this coincidence what this is? And of course it was like, well, this could have been Joseph's burial place when they went and got the bones, and they said, you know, we excavated and there were no bones in there. Imagine that. If this was the site of Joseph's burial in this land of Goshen, they would have taken his bones at the Exodus, which Scripture says that they did. And also later on we are told, I think it's in the book of Acts, that those bones of the brothers were also taken. And they were buried in the land of Israel. And so this this movie, I would encourage you to watch it, Patterns of Evidence, you just knock your head against the wall go, come on, the evidence is just right there. And everything winds up archaeologically. But you know, if it does... It means the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, then maybe what you believe isn't. And that's what the guys did not want to change. That's what the scholars were unwilling to uh, replace. Their bad theology, their bad uh, scholarship, and give it a different meaning. Verse 20 says, After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham, or Etham, On the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so God wanted to make sure not only were they going to be protected by going up through the Philistine area, He rerouted them and He gave them protection by giving them light at night. And so this, there are some people that say it was actually fire. I don't know if it was or not, but uh, Cecil B. DeMille, he makes it actual fire that is there in the movie and you can see that and it could have been actual fire and then it was a cloud or smoke by day and it was this huge pillar that would go up and so the israelites no matter where they were and how many thousands of feet into the air it went i don't know but you would have recognized it from anywhere in the vicinity that something strange was going on this huge pillar that would just be there and god would go before the people and he is the light of the world at night in the darkness the world is darkness he is the light he is the pillar of light the pillar of fire he is the one that provided them the means to travel at night and also by day god gave them firm direction god gives us that same firm direction it was a visible reminder that god was present with them all the time and also we know that this showed up later the Shekinah, they call it the Shekinah glory of God. It settled in the temple in Exodus, or in the tabernacle in uh, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. It also filled the temple in First Kings chapter 8, verse 11. When Solomon built the temple, the Shekinah glory, the cloud, came down and it filled the temple there. Also, it talks about this in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And so going on in chapter 14 here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi, um, P or Pi, Ha between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephron. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself. Through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said... What we what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready, took his army with him, and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hathirath opposite Baal Zephron. Now, if you would bring this up, Daryl, this picture here will show the trek that they took. Now, you see Sukkot up there. They crossed the Nile River and they came over to what is known as Elat. Now, Elat today is spelled E L A T, not E L O T. Elat is a uh, what do you call it? A, um, it is a resort city. I have been down there, and the hotels are palatial. I mean, if we stayed there this uh, one time when we were going over to Petra, and just the marble and the pools and the palm trees and the food, you're just going, wow, I am living in Egypt. And actually, from the hotels, you could look right down, and you could see the gates for Egypt. You would go right through Elad, and if you went to the left, that would go into the Sinai Peninsula, which was Egypt over there. At uh, at least it is now at this particular point. And so you would go down there, and it's a bustling city. It's a resort town. The scuba diving there is supposed to be world-renowned. It's just uh, you see these duck boats that are there, and tourists go there. The people in Israel, that's where they vacation. They go down there. Well, you can see they were heading for that place. And they could have just crossed right over into what we know as Saudi Arabia. You see the dotted line there? Now, the dotted line, the two of them that are represented there, are possible routes routes that they could have taken. But God turned them. He said, no, don't go straight across. I want you to go down. Now, the way that they went down, it's a mountainous area. Two to three million people going through here. The canyons would narrow, and God brings them to this landing next to the Gulf of Aqaba. And as you would go down there, there's nowhere to retreat. If the chariots came in from behind this narrow area, they couldn't go up the steep mountains on either side. And so Pharaoh's going, we got them. We're going to go get these guys and we're going to bring them back. And they had their hearts changed. But God said, no, nah, I'm going to trick them is what I'm going to do. Because, you know, God hardened their hearts and they were hardening their own hearts. And what have they done? Like stupidly I've done this. I let these people go. Of course, that's spanish that is not egyptian i don't know the <laughs> egyptian accent but anyhow the, it takes them down to this particular place and it's a landing and if you do the uh, archaeology on it if you go the geography it is just big enough for two or three million people on this one area but there's it then it's mountains going down to the water and you have nowhere to flee and that's where god likes to put us he likes to run us through these narrow passages Right to where we think we're comfortable, it's all good, and there's the water, and all of a sudden the enemy's coming from behind, and I have nowhere to go. And so they're going, what are you going to do for us, Moses? And they start to panic at this particular point. And so what are they supposed to do? Well, God's going, you're just going to have to trust me, right? And Moses tells them this. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? You detect a note of sarcasm here? I mean, they're just like, so, Mr. High and Mighty Leader, what are you gonna do now? You know, and we're gonna die out here. And the women were probably screaming and wailing and crying, and the guys are going to Moses, mutiny on the bounty is what you have taken place here. What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You know, at that particular point, would you want to just slap them or something? It's like, did you not just see what happened in Egypt? Were you not there? Were your eyes closed? Just leave us alone. We just wanted, you know, we'll just stay here. This is change. We don't like change. Imagine ourselves, you know, as we get older, we don't like change. We like things just normal. Same thing for breakfast. Same meals for dinner, you know. Watch the calories. Watch the television. Don't change anything. Just leave it the way it is. And these are the Israelites. You ruined our lives to Moses. Moses, completely humble man. And God says that he was humble. Moses answered the people, of verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now let me back up just a moment. So you have these people. Who can quote to me Philippians chapter 2, verse 14? That's right. That's what it is. Do everything without complaining or arguing, except when you get in a tight spot and the Egyptians are coming after you, right? And, and this, is, of course, is Old Testament, but the same was to be held in the Old Testament as the New Testament. We are not to complain. We are not to complain about anything. And you might say, well, what about... no?" anything what but you know when it, anything am i getting the message across here we cannot as believers think we're in good standing with god if we are complainers i caught myself doing it the other day i was complaining. like what am i complaining for you know god's the one in control i shouldn't be complaining about anything and it was about sdg and a Now, you might say, well, you should complain about us. No, God's the one in control, you know, and, and I need to learn that. And I'm constantly learning that over and over. And God's promise to the Israelites through Moses, he promised them that he would bring them to Mount Horeb. Now, did he say that or not? He did. He said This is going to happen. You are going to worship me at this mountain and take them to Mount Sinai. God gave them all of these promises and they just refused to believe them. And the whole part where you can complain, it's a test. And then when you start complaining, you might turn introverted on this. When you have the, you feel the right to complain, then you might start getting down on yourself. I'm I'm so stupid, I shouldn't have done that. I'm you know, I just and you beat up yourself too, right? And you, <clears throat> I think Jim Carrey had a movie where he was beating himself up in a bathroom and hitting himself on the sink. We, we start doing that too. And God knows God probably sits there, and, come on, you don't have to do that. Just come on, just get with the program, you know, and, and he does so lovingly, but this idea that we either complain or we turn on ourselves, God knows. And all we had to do is go, okay, God, I get it. I'm supposed to be humble. All right, I'm not going to complain anymore, and I'm not going to beat myself up over it. You know what's going on. So God doesn't want us to complain. He said he would be with them, but they refused to trust. And by the way, you know that absolutely nothing is solved by complaining. And you might say, well, wait a second. Yes, it is. If my food is cold or if it's not right at a restaurant, if I complain then I get new food and everything is made right, ah, but your heart is not. Your heart is just given over to complaining. And once you start doing it, you just want to do it all the time. I mean, there's so many things we can complain about. We can complain about... I'm not going to give you an example because then... <laughs> Then you'll just start, yeah, what about that, you know? And we're not supposed to complain. God just wants us to walk by faith, just trust him for everything. And these Israelites were not doing that. They were getting on the wrong side of what God wanted them to do. But in order to learn it, they had to be tested. And that's what God does with us. He tests us. You know, a complainer usually falls into this prideful state this haughtiness they know it all they become curt they become rude they become snippy they lack self-control and especially if you mix that with anger it's a dangerous combination have you ever seen somebody in a complaint line or somebody just complaining at the top of their lungs and pointing their finger and talking about how mad they are and how dare they do something like this and i'm never coming back to this place and everybody's gonna know about you i mean you just i'm gonna tell 11 people and those 11 people are gonna tell 22 more and it's just you're done you know, you, you kind of want to do that. And God says, don't. Just, in the vernacular of our day, just suck it up, would you? You know, that's that's what he wants us to do. So we're not supposed to complain about anything. Complaining just corrupts the heart. It corrupts the heart of the complainer. Complaining corrupts the heart of the complainer. If, if we're able to maintain the humility It would all be good for us because then the lessons don't have to be relearned. So Moses brings consolation to the people. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. You see, that's where I was getting that from. So just. Don't turn to me. Just tell them to come on. Let's go. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army. Through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of the Israelite army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of the of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and a wall on their and on their left. So, I have seen. Uh, maybe you have too. On the Discovery Channel, they try to explain how the parting of the Red Sea took place, and the wind blew, and it just blew all the water away. except for that one word in there called wall. There was a wall of water on either side now in some places where they crossed and if daryl if you'd bring up that next picture on some places where they crossed the water was 40 feet deep on either side of them it goes down i think to over a thousand feet now this is where they would have gone from egypt you see egypt and you see the topographical map here how the seafloor just rises right up and by the way there have been documentaries done some say well they're not truthful and others say no this is it and you can check it out where this land bridge that's underneath the water, they have found these coral formations. And they look just like chariot wheels that are covered over with coral. Have you guys seen that? Who, who has seen those? Yeah, several of you have. And you look at that and you just go, wait a second. This is there and nobody's doing anything about it? To confirm that that's what actually takes place? Go figure. The world doesn't want you to know that it's true. That's why over at Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, you can't go over there, even though all the signs are there, the 12 pillars at the base of Mount Sinai and the uh, Mirabah, the bitter waters, the water that pours from the rock. They know that this rock, this huge rock had been split, that Moses was just to speak to, but he's... He struck the rock, and water flowed out from it, and it's sitting on this hill. And they say say that water was flowing down from this place. All this evidence is there, but it's being sequestered. They don't want you to know. So in this particular part, and again, there's been a couple of documentaries made about this, where they were able to go through the water, and there was a wall on either side. Have uh, you seen these disappearing edge pools Well, now they're putting in these plastic sheets of see-through water instead of just making a wall. So you can go up to it, or like an aquarium. You go to these big aquariums, and uh, one day I hope to get into one with all the sharks and everything that they have. They'll let you do that every once in a while. And they have this plexiglass that's up there. And the plexiglass can be 15, 20 feet tall. Well, imagine in some places being 40 foot tall, and there's no glass. But it's a wall of water. And you... You know what I would do? I'd go, no. I would stick my hand in there, and then you see the fish come right up, you know, and they're looking at you, and you're looking at them, you know, in the water, and what's in there, it would just be incredible to see this. And then all two or three million people going through this particular land, and they say that it was dry, that dust was choking as they were going through there. But it would just have been a marvel. Do you think you would have doubted God at that point from then on? Well, the Israelites did. Even though they saw that, they were, they, they were old wineskins. You can't change my mind. I'm not changing. I know I'm going to die out here. It's going to be all your fault, Moses. And, and, you know, the people didn't enter the promised land because they didn't believe. They didn't trust God. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them. You know what? I'm going to stop there. I'm right at the top of the hour here. There's so much more that is in this part. The Israelites, they didn't trust God. And all God was interested in doing was having them learn the trust that he was right there. You know, if, no matter what you're going through, uh, there are problems that come up all the time. You know, poor Victor, he was on his way here. And his uh, car uh, the hot water hose or the housing for the thermostat just cracked and all this water's coming out and he's arriving here and you know his van and he has all those kids well, like 17 kids something like that the, that are in the van and you know he he just goes oh, whatever I was able to just get the parts and pull in right here and I'm just going to fix it and we have these little incidents come up all the time and his attitude was great It's like whatever I'll just fix it you know I'll just get it done when you guys are going through trials and you think it's This is horrible. All you have to do is say, this is not my problem. This is God's problem. And God will deliver the Israelites. He did deliver the Israelites. And God will deliver you too. That's how much he cares for you. So whether it's health or finance or family or relationships or whatever it is, just go, you know, I'll do my part. This is God's problem. He's going to work it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Uh, The example that has been given to us of the Israelites and what they were going through. But help us not to continue to be like them. Even though we have complained in the past, help it to be ever before us. That we should just be humble before you, knowing that you are the one in control. And with your help, we will do so. In Jesus' name. Amen.